Good morning, friends. And good morning to those who are joining us online from anywhere from throughout Western Canada and the great Diocese of Kootenai. My name is Ken Gray, and at your rector's invitation, I'm presiding and preaching both today and in two weeks' time. Really nice to be with you this morning, and I'm joined by my wife, Kathy, who is sitting in the pew on my left, your right. This is not my first time in this building. From 1994 to the end of 2004, I was rector of St. Stephen's Summerland. And at that time, I got to know Chris Harwood-Jones, who was a curate in this church, working with Peter Davison. I've been following Chris's career over the years. I'm eight to ten years older than him, uh, so I'll claim some sort of parental advantage. (laughs) And so he began here, after a life in the law and as a professional jazz fusion musician, he entered Vancouver School of Theology, did his curacy here, and then went down the road to Armstrong Enderby. And after a few years, he came back here to Vernon, where he still is, and I don't know where he'll go next, but it'll probably be Armstrong Enderby. Anyway, who knows? It took Nelson Mandela a long road to freedom in his own journey, and Chris has taken a short road to success. So anyway... Thank you, Chris, for your invitation. I was also here during a rather infamous Diocese of Kootenai Synod. It would have been about 2003, 2004. And I'll say no more about it except that everyone, and I do mean everyone, had a very good time. You extend hospitality well. I join you this morning on this, the unceded traditional territory of the Stilts people. And I acknowledge the role for all of us to continue the healing and reconciliation journey together, all my relations. At this time, we usually welcome announcements. I have nothing before me in terms of written announcements. Are there any messages to be shared at this time with the congregation? And to those of you online, I can't remember if you're on Facebook or YouTube, but put something in the comments. A moment of silence as we come together in worship together. I invite you to rise in body or in spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are made. But as the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. We sing, oh, praise the Lord. Go for it. <laughs>
Almighty God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. May we find peace in your service and in the world to come see you face to face. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated as we pay heed to Holy Scripture. A reading from the book of Amos. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, See, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Praise to you, Lord Lord Jesus, show us mercy as we show mercy to all. Amen. Please be seated. It's difficult to have this conversation in a larger room, so I'll put the rhetorical question out there. Don't shout back answers to me because I'm a hearing aid user and I won't be able to hear or I'll misunderstand, but... What's your favorite story? Someone said to you around a campfire or a child or a grandchild said, tell me a story. What story would you tell? Because we Christians and the Jewish community and Islamic communities, we all tell stories. The whole Christian experience is a story. It's the story of God's relationship with humanity and all creation, all which lies beyond time and space, all that is in the past and remembered from the past and anticipated in the future. It's all story. And then there's the biblical story, the written record of God's interactions, God's passions for all creation, especially relevant in our own day. And then there's the gospel stories, and especially Luke's gospel story. Luke, that lover of detail. Luke, the one with a strong historical sensitivity, but also a fantastic, what you might call charismatic imagination. He hopes the very best for all. And in quoting Jesus, even in identical language but in different contexts, adds his own special twist to the gospel story so that we might all not only live, but live abundantly, although John underscores that. There's unique material in Luke's gospel not found in Matthew, Mark, or John. In today's story, the so-called story of the Good Samaritan is just such a story. And what a story it is. It begins with legal discourse and a bit of a scrap. 
What do I have to do, one person says, to inherit eternal life? And he's the lawyer. He's wanting to establish the facts for himself and for others. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The coupling of those two incredible pieces of Jewish law together in a package which lived completely are a perfect life. Because if we treat every relationship as if we would like to be treated in any relationship, everybody wins. I mean, think about it. Push to an extreme, everybody wins. But then Jesus tells a story. Because you can argue logic, but there always seems to be another point of view. You know, it keeps lawyers and all sorts of people in the legal arts in good, steady employment. And we need lawyers. <laughs> I've been on all sorts of involvements over the years, grateful for the work and the talent. But there's a story. And I don't know, it's, it's a real setup, isn't it, here? Wanting to justify, well, oh yeah, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. A priest was going down from Vernon to Armstrong. You know, you set the story in a context of real space and real time. But the way it often gets told in our present day, the way that stories are often set up, well, it could be... uh, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walked into a bar. What are they going to talk about? You know it's a setup. You know there's going to be a surprise. There's going to be a kicker at the end. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. The three don't necessarily belong together, but they're brought there for a particular purpose. And the story unfolds. There has been a felony. There has been violence. There has been robbery. Um, My wife Kathy and I are about to go off to Ireland, and we will, for various reasons, get a deep exposure into the history of the Troubles. Three decades of intense, intense violence in Northern Ireland, and for various reasons, we've got kind of an in to the underground story in history. The violence is just unbelievable there. It's a memory now more than a physical reality, but it's a memory which still hurts deeply. And so it'll be fascinating for us as foreigners, literally, to come into that environment and find reconciling energy that would take a person from one side of the street, and this is literal in Belfast, to the other side of the street or the street just next door to reconcile those which have been opposed. Samaritans, priests, Levites. And the story unfolds, and the Samaritan does amazing things and goes way beyond what is expected, way beyond what is appropriate. His is the fullest response you could believe or anticipate. And then Jesus sums it all up. He goes back to the lawyer And he says, which of these three did the right thing? He didn't say, believe the right way. He said, do the right thing. And the answer is obviously the Samaritan. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. 
Go and do likewise. Show mercy. It's a contrast, isn't it, with Matthew 28, where the now uh, still disciples about to become witnesses and apostles were told to go and baptize in a rather colonial, almost overbearing way, kind of enforce the church upon others. This is a very different mandate. Go and show mercy. We could argue the points, what is mercy? It has something to do with healing. It has something to do with forgiveness. It has something to do with mending. It has something to do with going the extra mile. The context will determine it. So a priest, a Levite, and um, a Samaritan went into a bar. What were they talking about? Or who came and joined their table? Well, I've got some suggestions. I'm going to talk to you about Grant. I met Grant while I was rector of Colwood prior to moving to Kamloops in 2016. I'm a big guy. Grant was about 40 or 50 percent bigger than me. He was stocky, you know. He was a Roman Catholic priest who made the mistake of falling in love and the career options were limited and he left the church. He ended up working in social justice ministry in St. Vincent de Paul in Victoria. And he showed up in the Anglican Church out in Colwood because he was kind of curious about Anglicanism. I don't know what he'd been doing before that since he had been laicized. And we got to know each other fairly well, and then I moved on. After I'd moved on, he talked to the bishop and sought orders and was eventually ordained an Anglican priest or received as a priest into the Anglican communion. His wife, Colleen, also felt called. And so she completed seminary training, and she was ordained just a few weeks ago in Victoria. Five hours later, Grant died. Oh, you know, it's just one of those sadnesses, one of those tragedies, those missed opportunities, you know. But set that aside for a minute, because the night before her ordination, he wrote her a letter. And this was shared at the funeral the other day, just this last Tuesday. And in the letter, he said to Colleen, you know, don't get stuck on all the language stuff. Don't get stuck on all the technical theology. Tell people they are loved. Remind people they are loved. Love people so that they will know that they are loved. It's good advice for any clergy for any student of the Bible, for any active churchgoer, for any human being, for anyone who loves animals, for anyone who discovers that in and of themselves there is a desire to help people know that they are loved. To walk over the other side of the street and talk to the person who you would not normally talk to and go out of your way to improve their lot and establish some sort of community. Books. We all like reading books. Some of us have too many books. Some of us have about the right number. Some of us read purely for entertainment. That's just fine. I do it too. Some of us read to discover different ways of living. My current book that I'm talking about anytime I'm given an opportunity is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. She brings together three strands of wisdom. One is academic science, biology, botany. Another is um, 
uh, her indigenous heritage, Wendat, uh, Ontario, Quebec. And the third is the actual wisdom shared by the plant world. I used to be very suspicious when people would go and talk to plants or trees. We had a few of those in Kootenay back in my day here, as I recall. And um, it wasn't Chris, though. <laughs> Look south. Anyway, um, and expect an answer back. But she does. She gets into conversations, and you think it's nuts until you read the book. Well, here's what she has to say about reaching out beyond your own comfort zone reaching across the road from your point of comfort and safety to the place where other people live and are just trying to survive. We were given the responsibility to care for land, she says. What people forget is that means participating, that the natural world relies on us to do good things. You don't show your love and care by putting what you love behind a fence. You have to be involved. You have to contribute to the well-being of the world. That image of the fence, what did you think of? I immediately thought of all those controversies during the Trump era in the United States about building walls and building fences. And was it John Fitzgerald Kennedy or Diefenbaker who said, fences make good friends and neighbors good friends? Yeah, it can be argued, you know. We do make divisions in society and in life because of, a fan, uh, because of a desire to defend and to protect ourselves. But if we can lower those walls, think of the Middle East. Well, again, think of Northern Ireland, and some of the walls are still up, though more for demonstration and history-telling than actual enforcement. It seems to be this human tendency that we want to segregate and separate in order to save or whatever. He pushes against that in a beautiful, beautiful way, helping us integrate the man-made world and this wonderful created world that God has given us. One final example from the news. Do you know what I'm going to talk about? What happened in Toronto on Thursday, was it, or Friday? Good Samaritans tell their stories after saving a man from a burning car. CBC article. Two men who helped pull a driver from a burning vehicle on a Toronto-area highway this week were telling their stories after a harrowing rescue that was captured on video. The video shows a white sedan traveling down the highway with white smoke pouring from it. The vehicle then crashed, and thick black smoke began billowing from its right side. Ben Sykes and Frederico Lauer had never met before, but their daring rescue, the one they mounted along with three other men, has given them a shared experience they'll never forget. We had to get them out at that moment. A couple of seconds later, the vehicle would have exploded, which it did. They told CBC News it all happened so fast for them to worry about their own safety. There was no hesitation. It was fight or flight. Laura said, it was that you, you'd want someone to save you. We were grateful we got him out. It was all teamwork and we were lucky to get him out. So we're going to have a beer after this. Because a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan walked in a bar. 
And there were stories to tell about how people had overcome adversity, overcome their own fears, overcome their prejudices, and had become the person God had created them and you and I to be. As a younger adult, I used to say, why is the Church always talking about love? Well, I can answer that question a bit in part now, because we need to. We need to practice it. We need to hold ourselves accountable. We need to get it right. It needs to be done. There are needs to be responded to, and so on and so forth. So the next time you walk into a bar or a coffee shop or the public library, or the street, and in conversation with the neighbor next door. Keep your eyes and ears open. Where is love? Who needs to receive love? And who is loving? Thank God for love.